I invite you now to open in your word to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be diligent in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And may God bless his word to our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time together. We pray that your Holy Spirit would fill each of us, that he would awaken us to our need. We pray for those among us who are lost, that they might come to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for your saints, dear Lord, that you would strengthen us, that you would use your word given to us by the Holy Spirit, by inspiration of God, to convict each of us as you know we need. Father, we can't but pray for the situation in the Middle East and for what has happened and what is happening. And dear Lord, we, we feel for those people we feel for the innocents among them, for the children. We feel, Lord God, for the fact that there is so much uncertainty and fear. Heavenly Father, we realise how sin has so marred humanity and we just pray for your hand upon them over there. We know, dear Lord, that even though the uh, state of Israel does not know you, they have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, yet we know, dear Lord, that you're faithful to them. And we thank you, dear Lord, that through them the gospel has been able to go into all the world. We pray for those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who live there, that whether they serve in the forces or whatever, that they may be enabled to minister Christ to their friends and neighbours. We pray, dear Lord, for the international community, that they may be able to help these people who are warring to come to a ceasefire and that there would be peace there, Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be with our nation and that you would give us strength. May you revive your church, dear Lord Jesus, here in Australia and all around the world. May you help us to be bold in the presentation of the gospel, proclaiming Christ, who is the way, the truth and the life. And may you be pleased to bless our service for you, Lord. And for us here this morning, open our hearts to your word, dear Lord. May your Holy Spirit lead us into all truth. May we be strengthened and edified. And in all things, may Christ increase, may I decrease. 
And we pray all this to your glory, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I want you to meditate for a moment on the prophet Jonah. Not so much the fact that he was in the fish's belly for three days and three nights, but I want you to imagine that scene when eventually or finally he obeyed God and went to, his de- to the destination to Nineveh. Imagine him entering in. He's one man, he's a Jew, he's entering into the capital city of the nation that are at war with the Jews or have no good feelings towards the Jews and it's vice versa. Imagine Jonah walking into this strange city. He walks, the Bible tells us, one day's journey into the very heart of that city. He has not had the privilege or the assistance of someone going before him to prepare the way, to meet with the locals, to arrange somewhere to meet and to to give his message. He's there on his own. There is no escape. Imagine then that moment when finally he's going to do what God said to him, go to Nineveh, and then God said to him, preach what I want you to preach. Imagine just those few moments before he starts to speak. He probably found an open area, a marketplace, somewhere where there was a concourse of people coming and going. And you wonder what went through his mind as he's about to proclaim what God said because the message itself doesn't help Jonah at all. You remember that he himself is a very reluctant servant. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. And the message is not going to be a good one. It is not God loves you and he wants you to live your best life now. It is the message of warning. It is the message where God says, tell them, repent, because if you don't, within 40 days, I will destroy this city. It's a a message of judgment. And we could apply that. We We could extrapolate that, if you like, the fact that when we preach the gospel, it is a warning message to people because We don't know the time, but nevertheless the time is coming when God will come back, when Jesus will return and he will judge the nations. And so what we have is the same message that Jonah had to call people to repent, to be saved and to become children of God and escape the wrath of God that is going to come upon this world, just as the Ninevites were under the amazing power of God able to hear the message and to be saved. You see, that is what is amazing about the book of Jonah. That is what is amazing. But remind yourself, it is one man and he a reluctant prophet and we see the power of God. We see the mercy of God warning these people and we see the power of God in saving these people that from the king down... They clothed themselves in, in ash, ashes and, and, and just repented and God spared them. I want you to keep that in mind as we consider this passage of Scripture. 
Because what this passage is helping us to understand is the fact that the preaching of God's word is a serious matter. Paul instructs his son in the faith to preach the word. He has already said to him, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and we have to hold on to it and we have to follow it because it is sufficient for us. And it's only natural that if the scriptures are sufficient for us, then that is what we then preach. And it almost seems as if it's automatic that we as Christians would understand, yes, preach the word of God or preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a synonym. And it's almost automatic for us. But I want us to consider, do we realize or do we fully believe in the power of the gospel or have we allowed ourselves to think that somehow the gospel is not what the world needs? Because you see, you must remind us, we must remind ourselves that it was only took one sin to cast all of humanity and all of creation into utter chaos. And you look around the world, not just the Middle East, you look around the world and there's nothing but chaos. There's nothing but division. There's nothing but con just problems. And you wonder, how can it be fixed? And we do not subscribe to the fact, well, God's coming back, Jesus is returning, and we'll just live aside somewhere and do our own thing until Jesus taps us on the shoulder and we're, yeah, I'm here, and so, oh, okay, it's over. We're called to fight the good fight of faith because that's what Paul says in this chapter. We're called to be active in our role as messengers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means we must believe in it, that it is effective, that it is powerful. And indeed, my theme this morning is that what the world needs is the gospel. The gospel is what will fix this world and all its problems. So the preaching of the word of God is important. It's important to me or whoever preaches it. Because as God said to, to um, Jonah, preach this to them and preach the preaching that I tell you. So we must preach the word of God, not add to it, not take away from it, not be ashamed of it not think it's not necessary, not think that it's not going to be of any good, they're not going to listen or whatever. But it's also important to you, to you who hear the gospel, because it puts a responsibility onto you to submit to it, to obey it, to follow it, because it is the word that God himself has given to us. Remind yourself of what Paul says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. And that there is not one of your sins that will not go unpunished. Every sin that you commit will be punished because that's what God does. He can't allow sin in any form or shape. He must eradicate it. It is contrary to his nature. It never was the intention of God, a sovereign God. And you ask yourself, how can it be sovereign? And yet he allowed sin to come in 
One day maybe the Lord will reveal that to us, but what he does do is declare to us in his word that he will not in any way abide sin. It will be punished. And that's why the gospel is so precious, isn't it? Because the gospel tells us that Jesus Christ came and he paid the penalty for your sin. That Jesus died so that you can live. That is the good news. And if we as Christians have a faith that transcends this world and this time that we are constrained by and we always look to eternity, if we see the, the, the situation that is going on in our own lives and in the lives of the people in this world, we see it from the perspective of God. We see that it isn't just that we are born and we live for a short time and we do the best that we can and then we die and then at, that's it. It's, we cease to exist. We know that there is an eternity. And so we see everything that is happening from the perspective of God who is working out his plan and who has given us this gospel and in his mercy has provided the means whereby people can be reconciled back to him. It is made known to the world through the preaching of the gospel. That's what we do. That's what the church should do. Instead of being sometimes distracted by trying to help people feel that they, they don't need God because they're, pretty go, they're going pretty good as they are. So it is that the preaching of the gospel is so very, very important. And I say that because that is the theme of Paul in this section. And we're going to look at it where he says, I charge you, preach the gospel. And so we understand that it is something that God has given to us and we must, we must preach it. Paul says to the Corinthians, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But to us who are saved, it is the power of God. And so the world thinks it's foolish, this message that we have. And if you were to say to someone who isn't a believer that what the world needs is the gospel and that the problems that the world has can be solved through the gospel, and that's an amazing thing in itself because God doesn't, doesn't resolve issues by getting a whole bunch of people and overtaking other people. He works individually. He works in the life of one individual and then another individual. And then he multiplies that so that the gospel is effective as it goes, as it's spread out throughout the whole world. But for many people, it is foolishness. But... For those who have been awakened to it, it is the power of God because it saves us. And Paul realized how people, sorry, Paul realized that how people receive the preaching of the gospel will determine whether they enter into life or enter into death for eternity. And it was something that he felt the full weight of that responsibility because in his second letter, to the Corinthians, he spontaneously cries out, who is sufficient for these things? Who can carry the burden of preaching and you have literally the life of people in your hands, 
not in the man's hands, but because you're preaching to them, repent, believe. Don't go away without closing with God. Don't, don't think that you, you're free to do what you want. There is a God and he will be your judge, but he wants to be your saviour. Who is sufficient to handle that? And yet that is what we're called to do. Paul understood the absolute necessity of preaching the gospel and not to be ashamed of it. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who will believe. And it was the power of God that worked in the city of Nineveh, not one man who preached it. He was the instrument, but it was the power of God by the Holy Spirit reviving that whole city. It's an amazing thing when you stop and think about it. But we should take that and believe that even today, it is the gospel that will save people. Imagine how ridiculed we would be if we were to say to people, what the Palestinians need is to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What the Jewish people need is to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What the world needs is to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am not making that up. You know that to be the truth. But what we do is we allow ourselves to think that the, the, the affairs of men, of governments, the armies that are in power, the things that go on beyond our control are greater than the gospel. And yet God is so concerned for the lives of people that he ministers to one soul, wherever that soul may be, who comes under the preaching of the word of God and saves that soul for all eternity. So whether they are rich or poor, educated or illiterate, they are souls loved by God and brought into the family of God. And that's what Paul is saying here. Because I don't want you to miss the point here. Because Paul is saying to Timothy, I charge you therefore. So he's giving Timothy an important charge. It's a trust. It's almost as if he's calling Timothy to take an oath. And it's so serious that, he, that Paul even calls God and the Lord Jesus Christ as his witnesses. Because that's what he says in verse 1. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. So Timothy is given this charge. And I don't want you to miss that what Paul is saying is, Timothy, in the light of all that I have said, this is the solution. Preach the word. And we looked last week at the inspiration of Scripture, and that's all that Paul focuses on, isn't it? He doesn't talk about tongues. He doesn't talk about healings. He doesn't talk about miracles. He doesn't talk about anything else because this is what we as Christians must do. We focus on the word of God and from the word of God, we then know how to serve the Lord. And so that is why Paul is focused here. I want you to notice the word therefore. In my version, it says, I charge you therefore. And the word therefore, as you know, refers us back to what has already been said. 
and it may be the whole letter, but it can also be an immediate context of what Paul was saying in chapter 3. In other words, Timothy, in the light of what I have said to you, then you preach the word. Well, what is it that Paul did say to him? Well, you remember that he says several things in chapter 3. Let me just look at my notes before I forget. All right. He warned us, he warned Timothy, and he warns us that we are in the last days. And in the last days, perilous times, difficult times, dangerous times will come. I, I think we established that the church has been in the last days since the time when our Lord Jesus returned to heaven. We're not, it's not the end times, it's the last days. We're waiting for the end times when Jesus will return. And Paul describes what people will be like in these last days. And he gives a description for us in verses 2 to about 5. And he starts by saying that men will be lovers of themselves. And he finishes by saying that men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. He then tells us that out of these people will arise those who want to influence the church, but for wrong, because they will be deniers of the truth and they will prove to be those who are really unregenerate. My version says that they are reprobate concerning the faith, which means they, they don't stand the test. They don't pass the test as, really, as truly being believers in the Lord. In the light of that, Paul says, though there will be a rise of those who are lovers of themselves and not of God, the children of God will be persecuted because he says all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He says that in verse 12. He even describes the persecutions that he, Paul, personally experienced because of him going about preaching the gospel. And then he says that evil men will grow worse and worse. So this is the situation that Paul says is going to come in the last days. But he says, Timothy, we have the word of God and we are to continue in the things that we learn and have been assured of from the word of God. Why? Because it has been given to us by the very breath of God. It's breathed out by God, given to us and as Peter tells us, holy men of God were carried along, were moved along by the Holy Spirit so that as they were led to write of their own volition because they didn't just mechanically copy what, or write down what God said. And remember, the Bible we have was not given by God to one man and he wrote it all down. It was written over a period of 1,400 years with some 40 authors and yet it is one word, and it doesn't contradict itself despite what so many people, even Christians, try to say. Because there is a harmony there. And as I've said to you before, the Word of God is not for lazy people. The Word of God is for those who want to dig deep. If you were given a plot, a plot of land and you were told there is gold in that land and you just scratch at the surface and say, I can't find any gold, but if you really want that, those riches, you dig deep 
And that's what we are called to do, to dig deep into the Word of God. So Paul says to Timothy, hold on to what we have. We have the, the Word of God, the very Word of God. So in the context of all this, the fact that things will get worse, the fact that people will depart from the faith, the fact that those who proclaim the gospel believe in the word of God will suffer persecutions. And just on that, it's, it's amazing how in Acts, I think it's Acts chapter 14, in detailing the journeys of Paul preaching the gospel, how he went through an area, preached the gospel, people believed, churches were established, and then he came back and he, and he saw them again to encourage them. And it's amazing how he encouraged them because he said that it is through much tribulation that we shall enter into the kingdom of God. That's not much encouragement to new believers, is it? But it's the truth because we will always have the animosity of the evil one against us because we are children of God. He hates God. He hates the children of God. He hates the church. He can't get at God, but he can get at you. And so we are warned. And what is it that we have to protect ourselves? We have the word of God. And that's why then Paul is able to say, Timothy, I'm entrusting you. I'm giving you a trust. After I have gone, you make sure you keep preaching the word. You make sure, as he said back in chapter 2 and verse 2, the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So, sorry. So, Timothy, preach the word. So my question now is, after all that I've said, is the gospel really the solution for the world's problems? We live in a world where there are real problems, real real just issues. And people would say, you know what, we live in a real world. There's real wars happening over there. There's real war, sorry, there's real potential for our own nation to be divided. Because even with the with the whole thing about the referendum, we all knew that whichever way it came came out, that there would be division. We don't want that. We want to be united as a people as a country, to help everybody in our nation. So there's potential there for problems. So people would say, you know, we live in a real world and we need real world solutions. You and your religious philosophy that a a small bunch of you might talk about on a Sunday, that's not going to help our our situation. How How can that possibly help us? Well, let me say this to you. I guess it all comes down to it depends on what you're looking for. Is it the gospel's aim to achieve world peace? Or is it the gospel's aim to achieve peace between sinners and God? Jesus said, what, what will a prophet a man, and notice the word prophet, because Paul says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Jesus said, what will a profit of man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So the Christian perspective looks beyond the grave into eternity. And we, we exhort people to not just 
care for themselves as they, as they grow old, take care for their retirement and so on, but to make plans and to prepare themselves for eternity because they have an eternal soul. So my question again is, is it the gospel's aim to achieve world peace or to achieve peace between sinners and God? What did the angels cry out or sing on the night when the Lord was born? Peace on earth, goodwill to all men. And it can only be peace between God and men that we strive to help, help people achieve. Secondly, is the aim of the gospel to unite our nation or to achieve reconciliation between sinners and God. There's much talk about reconciliation, and I'm all for it. But the priority is that we are reconciled back to God. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, they were separated from God. Not just physically that they were cast out of the, out of the garden, but spiritually they could not commune with him anymore. And a person who, does, who is not saved is not able to commune with God because they are dead in trespasses and in sins. That's why Jesus came, in order that we might have life. And in being saved, we are reconciled, brought back to a relationship with the Father. And we can only do that through the Lord Jesus Christ. No man comes to the Father, Jesus said, but by me. That is the reconciliation that individuals need to be looking for. Thirdly, is the gospel's aim primarily to abolish famine, poverty, slavery and injustice? Or is it to deliver sinners from the slavery of sin and bring them into the kingdom of God? If you read the, the book of Galatians, Paul uses that analogy he says we have been we were like slaves in the marketplace to be sold as slaves the marketplace of sin and it's a a master that will not let you go and it is a master that will be worse than the egyptian taskmasters who treated the people of god in egypt with great cruelty the evil one is a cruel master. Sin destroys you. Sin presents itself as something that is alluring, something that is for your good. Otherwise, it would not have any power. But Satan comes along and deceives people into thinking that if they follow sin, they will be happy. And I'm reminded of the words of C.S. Lewis when he says that chasing after the pleasures of this world is, is like trying to, trying to satisfy your thirst by drinking salt water. And all sin does, it gives you a greater thirst for a lesser satisfaction. Now we sing as Christians, now none but Christ can satisfy. But why do we do that? Because there was a time when we were like the people of God in Jeremiah's day when the Lord says, my people have done two things, two terrible things. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've hewn out for themselves 
vessels that can't hold any water. In other words, they've forsaken God and they think that they can live without God and that they'll be all right. And finally, is the aim of the gospel to improve people's lives just for a short time or to help them enter into eternity as children of God? So yes, I believe firmly the gospel is what the world needs. me, what the world needs. It is the answer to the world's problems because the world's problem is sin. It's not war, it's not antagonism, it's not hatred, it's not abuse. All those things are the result of sin. And anyone that lives without Christ can only go on in those sins. But the Lord Jesus Christ delivers us from the slavery of sin. And whereas once we served a cruel taskmaster, Jesus Christ is the loving God who brings us into the joy of the Lord. Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, came into this world to save sinners. That is the message of the gospel. That is the hope offered to people through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what each of us needs. If you are not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says repent, believe, and be saved. The Bible tells you about a God who loves you, but he's also a God who's coming back and he's going to judge you. And one day, if you stand before him, he will say, your sins need to be paid for. And as a holy God, I will judge you. In that day, it will be too late for you to say, I wish I had Jesus with me now. Because you know why? Because it will be Jesus himself who condemns you. But the message now is, Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And if you repent and believe in him, you will be saved. And may we as a church embrace this reality to its full extent. Our effectiveness, our fruitfulness will only be in proportion to how we preach the gospel, we believe the gospel, and we live it out. From that will come all the good works that we may minister to people in their physical needs, but what we are concerned with primarily is their very soul because their soul will be an eternal one. And we want them to spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless us in this desire. Amen.